This is ICA's Global Conversation, a podcast dialogue about topics of interest to courts and court administration with court leaders from around the world. Brought to you by the International Association for Court Administration. This episode is proudly sponsored by Synergy International Systems, with the capacity and passion to deliver efficient systems, empowering impact-driven organizations. For more information, go to their website at www.synesis.com. everyone. I'm Cheryl Loesch, the president of the International Association for Court Administration, fondly known as ICA. I want to welcome you to ICA's second podcast. We have a great panel of subject matter experts who will be sharing their experiences on the important subject of performance management. I want to give my personal thanks to Synergy for sponsoring this podcast. And I also want to thank Peter Kiefer for not only hosting this podcast, but for also working his magic behind the scenes to actually produce it and make it all happen. I know you're anxious to hear from our panel of experts. So Peter, take it away. Measuring judicial performance is a burning question for many countries around the globe. How to balance the need for timely case resolution with the necessity for just results is a question many court experts have often pondered. Today, our panel of international court professionals will discuss the implications of measuring judicial performance. I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the International Association for Court Administration and ICA's Global Conversation podcast series. This episode delves into a number of questions about measuring judicial performance. How do you use the performance measures? Who gets to see the data? What effect does automating judicial performance measurement have? Do you tie judicial performance to an overall strategic plan? And what advice do these court professionals have for the rest of us? I'm joined today by a distinguished international panel of professional court experts. Angeline Rutazana, Inspector General for the Judiciary of Rwanda. Nysin Karungi, e-justice expert with Synergy International Systems. Dr. Azil Zimo advisor to the Chief Justice and Ministry of Justice in Bahrain, and Thomas Bruton, Clerk of Court for the United States District Court in the Northern District of Illinois. Thank you all for joining today's podcast. Tell us a little bit about your country's court system. How many courts operate from local courts up to the appellate and Supreme Court? How are they funded? And how are judges selected? Dr. Zemo? Um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone. Uh, thank you very much for this great opportunity. We have, we are actually, I come from Bahrain and it's a very small country uh, where we have around the 60 courts. Most of our courts are kind of um, in the same complex. There are a few courts that are just outside the, the main complex, like the family or what we call the Sharia courts. Um, in total, like I said, there are 60. There are a number of courts that are first instance, um, and they are covers commercial, civil, criminal, labor, and, uh, and rental uh, disputes, uh, as well as um, some uh, different specialization in various sectors like criminal uh, uh, courts, such as anti-money laundering and economic crimes, et cetera. Um, our courts, we uh, are run by the Supreme Judicial Council, which is headed by uh, the Chief Justice. It is a, has a financial independence, complete financial independence, and is funded by, by the state uh, in general, but separated from the government. 
our judges are um, appointed by this body, and uh, all its work, all the work of the judges is is managed by a, by the Supreme Judicial Council, which has a number of judges, as current and uh, retired judges, as as part of that composition. Um, our judges are selected through an open selection process, where there is an application made, uh, then exams, various uh, interviews and trainings, and the lucky. You actually managed to get through the very extensive um, a, a assessment program and find themselves being uh, lucky enough to be uh, judges. Inspector Rudazana? As you said, I'm, I'm from um, Rwanda. Rwanda is also a small country in Africa. In, in Rwanda, we have uh, courts uh, at different levels, or operating at different levels. On, on one hand, we have ordinary courts, which are uh, starting from the lowest to, to the highest. We have uh, primary courts, we have intermediate courts, we have uh, high court, and then we have the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court. And um, as you understand, uh, primary court, we, we hear cases at uh, trial level. And those cases will be appealed to the intermediate court, and sometimes, depending on the conditions, uh, in the in the high court. Uh, on the other side, you have uh, what we call specialized court, courts. Uh, those include uh, commercial courts. You have uh, the commercial tribunal and the commercial high court, uh, which means that uh, commercial cases will start in in the commercial tribunal and then be appealed to the high court. If uh, uh, the law allows, they can go even up to the Court of Appeal. Uh, among the specialized courts, we also have uh, the military tribunals. Uh, we have the military tribunal and then the military high court. Regarding the funding of our courts, in general, uh, we, courts are funded from the national budget, but uh, we have uh, a financial autonomy uh, granted by the constitution. Uh, however, uh, in, in some cases, uh, our partners uh, being national or international can also intervene uh, in funding some of our activities if they meet uh, their uh, area of interest. Regarding the selection of judges, uh, we have uh, two uh, modes, if I can say. For primary courts, intermediate courts, uh, they are uh, selected through uh, an open process uh, where they we have an application and uh, those who apply and uh, are pre-selected, they go through exams. Uh, we have a written exam and then uh, an interview uh, which are organized by the High Council of the Judiciary. And then those who pass those exams are appointed by the High Council of the Judiciary. On the other side, our judges from the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court will be appointed by the President of the Republic after consulting uh, the Cabinet and the High Council of the Judiciary. Does your court system have a strategic plan? And how many years into the future does it project? What's the current plan's focus? And how often is it updated? Tom Bruton? Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. 
we are fortunate. Uh, I'm part of the United States federal judiciary, and we do have a strategic plan for the federal judiciary. The Judicial Conference of the United States uh, has a plan. Uh, over the last decade, it's been uh, modified about four times, I would estimate. And the plan lays out uh, core values for the federal judiciary. Those core values are strategies, strategies that, that outline the importance of what the federal judiciary will model for fair and impartial justice. And I'll, I'll go over very briefly what those seven core values are. Number one, the rule of law. Two, equal justice. Three, judicial independence. Four, diversity and respect. Accountability, excellence, and service. That is the, the strategic plan for the federal judiciary. It's, it's fairly simple. There's goals. It's laid out. It's shared. It's public. And, and it's, in my words, it's transparent. And it's a living document that does get modified. And so um, it's tied together to strategies for moving the judiciary forward as well. Inspector Rudazana? Yes, of course. The Rwandan judiciary also has a strategic plan, uh, which I can define as a tool to uh, develop guide interventions towards the achievement of uh, our vision. Usually this judicial, uh, this strategic plan uh, is def uh, was develop developed for a period of five years. Uh, but currently, uh, the strategic plan we have covers a period of seven years, that is from 2018 to 2024. And this was done to align uh, the strategic plan with the national transformation strategy. The focus of our strategic plan is generally to provide timely and quality justice, which is actually the vision of the judiciary of Rwanda. And uh, as you understand, uh, annually uh, we, we develop an action plan, which is based on, on that, that strategic plan. It is updated once during the midterm review, and uh, it will provide the strategies, interventions, targets, indicators uh, to monitor and evaluate the achievements of these strategic objectives. Thank you. I will. Um, we also in Bahrain have a strategic plan. Actually, um, we just recently completed the first cycle of five years and I've just updated a new strategic plan for the next three years. Um, our strategic plan uh, is also a living document. The, the initiatives that are included in the plan are uh, set out in an action plan, uh, but also um, sometimes uh, due to recent events, for example, like COVID, there are things that get added um, that were not really in, the, in, in your mind when you made the strategic plan, that becomes a necessity to continue uh, the, um, you know, the justice or in, in, in the country. So we, we've added um, lots of things that have become very current. Um, uh, I know we, we talk about automation later on. Automation is, I think, become the backbone to any judicial system now. Um, and so our strategic plan concentrates 
um, quite heavily on, on how to develop automation and make it uh, most successful. Uh, and uh, among obviously ensuring uh, justice and competence uh, as well as excellence and uh, integrity. Are the measures tied to the court system's vision or strategic plan? Inspector Rudazana? Definitely, definitely. Uh, they are part of the research framework of our strategic plan, and they help uh, to assess the performance achieved in terms of providing timely and quality justice, as I said before. So we set uh, different strategies, measures, and indicators from the general vision. And uh, the measures set in the strategic plan are the ones to be implemented by judges in their day-to-day activities. And of course, those are the ones to be measured every quarter and every year. Tom Bruton? Pete, I think I would answer the question yes and no. In the United States, judges have complete independence, judicial independence. But we use those statistics that are published to make sure that we have enough resources, to make sure that there's enough staffing, to make sure that there are enough judges. What I would say is those statistics are analyzed and that they're carefully analyzed. One of the one of the statistics that we that they monitor closely to make sure that we have uh, enough judgeships in, in the districts is the weighted caseload uh, to make sure that we have enough judgeships in within each district. And so, uh, to answer the question, that would be a yes. But then, I want to be careful and, and make sure. I'm clear that judicial independence is very important within the United States. Dr. Zemo? It's a very interesting point that Tom makes. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see there is a particular conflict between judicial performance and judicial independence. Um, we, we hold our, in Bahrain, as much as we use our judicial performance measures in the management of the backlog and in the cases, uh, judicial independence of both both as a judiciary as well as individual judges is extremely respected and it's extremely important. And I think that's the case for almost any judiciary. Um, mm-hmm. if, if your judges are not independent, you don't have a judiciary. It's, it's as simple as this. Um, they are absolutely uh, independent. However, it's really important that we focus on judicial independence in that sense that we also provide a service. It's still a judiciary right. that provides service to the people. Um, and that's something that's very important. And I think over the years in many countries, that hasn't been the case. The judiciary has always been seen as kind of beyond the kind of customer satisfaction sort of thing of the or, or public um, or public uh, confidence. And it's it's always been something I've worked for many in many many jurisdictions with many judiciaries. But you know the idea of a judge when to just even discuss with them something like judicial performance that's something for a long time was was a taboo. Um, so I appreciate the point that Tom makes that. It is a fine line, and I, I absolutely respect the fact there is a very fine line between maintaining judicial independence and judges' independence to adjudicate cases in the way they see most appropriate, as well at the same time ensuring that cases are moving and people are, um, are getting a final judgment. Um, I think one of the most important cornerstones to judicial performance that we look at is that justice uh, delayed is justice denied. So if something is going to take many years for you finally to get a judgment, I'm not necessarily sure that even if it's a perfect judgment, you as a litigant would be particularly uh, satisfied with that. And even further in the business world, 
time no longer allows for that to happen. So um, right. even though I kind of didn't answer your question, I just felt like I needed to build on Tom's comment. Um, right. But on, on that point, we do, we do include um, the judicial performance as part of our, our vision and strategic plan. And it is how to make the environment for the judges better to help them achieve uh, more efficient justice. We're going to break away for a minute to hear from our sponsor, Synergy International Systems. vision for the justice sector is to enable expedited disposition of cases that come to the court system. We have a backlog problem which we need to overcome. We also have a long list of reserved judgments which we need to overcome. The objective is to deal with those two problems uh, and the steps are now being taken and I think we will be looking at a justice system that people can be looking forward to. With Synergy, I think we may have found a solution that will help us in achieving our vision. ICM is a very important and transitional system. ICMS has got features that I've not seen before. It will answer a whole lot of our questions or help solve some of our problems. It will change the way we do things. It will help us to become more efficient. Our record keeping will be more accurate and our work workflow will be more organized, more efficient and more effective. ICMS will automate almost everything and that's exciting. We're back with our panel talking about judicial performance. How often is the performance measure data reported? Who looks at the data? And what types of decisions are made based on the data reported? Do you publish the information to the general public? Tom Bruton? So uh, the data is readily available publicly online. It is available, uh, it's reported that the due dates are the end of March and end of September every year. And then it's published after it's compiled. Who looks at it? It's publicly available, but let me give you an example of how, how it could be used. Congress could look at it, and they could look at it to determine for judgeships. They could say, well, the weighted caseload in this particular district exceeds the, the acceptable level, and we should, be, we should be looking at that for additional judgeships. Um, that would just be one example of how the, the data could be used and uh, that we've been referencing today. Inspector Rudizana. Uh, thank you. Um, the performance measure uh, data are generally reported quarterly, uh, but if uh, need arises, uh, we can also report, uh, they can also be reported uh, when we, we need to, to see how uh, our courts are performing, we can, we can do uh, the report uh, uh, monthly or after two months. So, but generally it is done quarterly. And then uh, at the end of the year, we, we do a, a general uh, report. With the introduction of the IECMS, the integration uh, electronic case management we talked about uh, a, a few uh, minutes ago, it was introduced with the aim of uh, also promoting self-evaluation 
because the system will allow each individual judge to assess uh, uh, himself, to continually assess himself, to assess his or her performance. And uh, this can also uh, allow the immediate superior to the judge to, to assess the performance of the judge. The inspectorate can also uh, use the data to, to, uh, to uh, assess. And sometimes even the office of the chief justice if need arises. And from those assessments, uh, we can take uh, decisions and decision will vary depending on the outcome of the data. The decision may include uh, the increase of, uh, of judges or, or, or researchers for judges. Sometimes you can even decide to combine uh, some courts uh, if there is a need. Uh, we can decide whether uh, judges need a training in this field, depending on what uh, the report uh, showed. For the publication, I would say that we publish them in our annual report, and that annual report is uh, on the website of the judiciary and anyone can access it. But I would like to mention that we publish uh, uh, the data which are the, the data for, for courts, we don't publish uh, uh, um, data for individual judges. So uh, those who wish can access uh, the data uh, on the website because they are included in the annual report. Dr. Zemo? Um, we uh, also publish our um, measures um, annually in a, in a report, in an annual report that's available on the website. Uh, we also have a press conference for our Chief Justice every year around the beginning of the year, usually around mid-January, um, that way he discusses those, um, those measures. Um, uh, like it was explained, it, we, don't, we don't publish information for individual judges. However, judges are able to look at their own performance. They have their own dashboard that actually they are able to see uh, how many cases they've got, uh, how they've dealt with them uh, and in numbers. I'm, I'm talking purely num numbers here. That dashboard, like I said, is, is instantaneous. So it's um, it's live feed um, from everything that comes in. As something is registered or completed, it will it will show. You are able to use the, the dashboard to change the date, for example. So if you want to see your, your performance or performance of any court for the last six months, you will be able to do that instantly by, by doing that. Like I explained before, that is used uh, mainly in order to decide um, on allocation of cases um, and um, how many courts we need, um, as well as if we need more judges, for example, in a very similar way as uh, Angeline and Tom have explained um, in their own courts. Obviously, um, judicial performance measures is an, an essential part of budget planning. You know, that's one of the great things about it. You're able to do budget planning through it. Um, I think what also we have managed to do with it is identify areas of pain, uh, um, clogs in the system. Um, and, and, and often the clogs in the system are things you cannot see um, if you don't have this overall information. Um, and, and particular kind of cases are constantly delayed. We, you, you dig a deep, you have a deep, a deep, uh, deep analysis of that and you discover that there are, this for example, this particular case relies heavily on expert testimony. And the issue with the expert testimony that that would sometimes take longer than than, than other forms of evidence, um, and that has been very useful in trying to help 
the process, the whole judicial process, and moving things um, forward. Now, several of your country's court performance measurement systems are automated. Automation can be an enormous advantage to tracking judicial performance. Automation can also be very expensive and primarily benefits only large urban courts. What efforts are underway to bring the benefits of automated performance management to rural courts? Inspector Rudazana? I would start by saying that um, in our judicial system, automation is not kind of something new because we somehow started it in some years back in 2004 when we introduced uh, the system of uh, computer per, per person, I mean per judge or, or per court registrar. And then in 2011, we introduced the electronic filing in courts. And in 2016, we introduced the integrated electronic case management system, which is uh, the system we talked about uh, before. So uh, I would say that uh, because of the use of uh, IECMS now in all courts in Rwanda, the judiciary is, is putting uh, much efforts to allow courts uh, either in, in urban areas or in, in rural areas to, to be able to, to use the system without any, any problem. And we have been lucky because the use of IT is also uh, the vision of the country. And uh, it, it has been a bit easy for us because uh, that is also the vision for the country and the, the necessary infrastructure is, is not uh, necessarily in, in the uh, urban areas, but also in, in rural areas. Yeah, uh, we have uh, somehow what the court needs to, to be able to use uh, uh, the uh, system of automation. So I would say that uh, though uh, not everything, everything is perfect to today, but we are putting so much effort to allow all courts in the country to, to be able to, to work uh, in, in a smooth way using the information technology. But still, we, we, we understand that we still have a lot to do to improve uh, uh, how things are. But uh, I can say that we are, we are on a good, uh, on a good uh, track. Dr. Zemo? Well, we don't have uh, rural courts in Bahrain, but uh, automation is, uh, is it's been a godsend during COVID. We were managed to keep our courts open all the way through COVID due to the fact that we were able to provide automation uh, and um, ability of litigants as well as advocates and lawyers to access uh, courts and make applications, etc. Also, on, on the issue of judicial management uh, and judicial measures, it's, it's, a, it's automation gives you a new, a new amount of information that you never thought was possible. You know, you are able to identify, for example, how long does it take advocates to submit um, applications or make pleadings, etc. That kind of information wasn't really possible before automation. Um, um, how many applications, um, and I mean the, the simple applications that judges are given <laughs> in a given case, um, that also, it, it's, it, it's always been part of the, of the workload of judges, but and I, I just feel like Traditionally, that wasn't something that would be considered um, as part of the workload. Um, so I think automation has managed. It, it is absolutely expensive and it, is, it takes time to get it right. I absolutely agree. 
but it's definitely worth worth the effort. And the more you develop your automation, I think there are more room for improvement as well as knowledge information that you can actually build uh, build on. That's in Karungi. Uh, yeah, like Inspector General had said, um, uh, the rural areas for us uh, were also equipped because at this moment, most of the rural uh, courts actually have the facilities. But nevertheless, looking at the citizens, uh, both the illiterate and the computer illiterate, uh, some some measures are put in place to include them as well. For example, having the system in Kinyarwanda, which is the local language that they would easily understand, and um, the ability for the system to send them SMS notification, and also numerous trainings for people that can facilitate them. Uh, I have to mention here that when we started implementing the case management system, it was vital for us to uh, phase out uh, to phase out the system in different phases, starting obviously with urban uh, courts, but also phasing down to the rural courts. And um, finally, going into the future, we are looking at incorporating the USSD so people can easily follow up the status of their cases using uh, USSD codes. What safeguards do you have in place to prevent your automated system from being hacked? I seen Karungi. First of all, uh, the system is uh, stored in the National Data Center, and uh, that provides um, hardware security and uh, network security, but also uh, the system has its own uh, application level security and database level security. And um, the best part about this system is that uh, it allows to give permissions to individuals uh, depending on their roles and the, and the status of the case but also on a level, on a, on a field level uh, uh, kind of permission. So at a given state of the case, different individuals are able to see different things and operate on different things. But also I have to mention that security is relative. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the higher we go to secure our systems, the higher also hackers go. So we kind of have to always uh, do uh, kind of security checks, which is what we do. Uh, to make sure that uh, our system complies with our international security standards. Tom Bruton? IT security is of utmost importance. I think we've all heard uh, of the well-known issues that we've had, and and they're ongoing. And I think that this is going to be uh, for in the forefront for many years. And if we don't address IT security in the judiciary, that is our integrity. Um, we need we need to be sure that we keep things confidential. Um, we need to be sure that we are protecting not only the data that we've been talking about, but uh, the draft opinions, for example. And that's a challenge that we have every day. Um, we struggle with that. You know, we have several employees and systems in place that we're spending a tremendous amount of money and resources to try to protect it, but you're staying, it feels like that's an uphill battle every day. And as much as, as, much as you'd like to say that, you know, you're on the cutting edge and, and, and you're staying ahead, um, I feel like every month you're reading about a, a new piece of software or a new technology that you have to get to protect the, the integrity of the IT system. So uh, I'm always interested to learn more from my colleagues and, and, 
and know what what we should be doing and um and i and i hope that there's um i i i would suggest that maybe that that's one of the the next podcasts that we do is it security what piece of advice do you have for folks around the world joining us on today's podcast inspector rudizana the use of technology is the way to go especially in these times of uh, of covid i think we have learned uh, that uh, without uh, uh, technology we can do nothing that is my piece of advice i think karungi yeah i would say that uh, the time to adopt technology is now uh, if you have not yet adopted it and uh, that if covid has proved anything to us is that um, the use of technology is the only way to go going into the future and uh, i need to add that um, uh, the synergy international systems team is very happy to partner with you uh, in helping you um, achieve the goal of digitization whether you want to start or to maintain uh, the synergy team is here to support dr zimo um, it's it's really hard to follow those two comments um, by the by the two ladies of course automation no doubt um, I'll just add um, two or three more points. Um, the, the first point is the advice for anybody that hasn't started with this, whether technology or without technology. I, I think it's almost impossible to do without technology, actually. So starting with, with, with technology, but also starting somewhere. Um, you, judicial measures develop. You, you, you have a few that you really need, and as you use them, you discover you need more, and you can slowly develop those, those, those uh, judicial measures. So start anywhere, just get started and get used to in the mindset of using data and statistics in decision-making. And that's not something that comes naturally, especially in a place like the judiciary. You know, all judiciary in the world are difficult, are change. Um, and they, it takes, it takes, their mindset is, is traditional. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's the way they've been trained. And, and this is how they, they you know, it's the, the point of their jobs. But it, it's a very important point to change the mindset. It takes a bit of time and um, for you to be able to use statistics um, in order to make all kinds of decisions about the management of the judiciary. And I think the other two points I'd like to make is the point about uh, the point I made about um, next logical step. I think in the plan, it's something we didn't have in our plan, really, but in the plan, you need to have tangible measures that does deal with quality um, and does deal with predictability. I think that's extremely important. And the final point um, for me is that um, I, I read an article a, a few weeks ago and, and, and had another podcast um, and, uh, about the, that justice is not just the courts. And that's something that I, for somebody that's been working for a very long time within the court, whenever we think of the word justice, it always thinks of it within our, our court systems, our judges, but actually justice is, is a lot wider than that. And, it, and I think it's really important to think of dispute resolution in general, um, because actually statistically, the percentage of people that end up in court that have actually had any real dispute is, is quite minimal. Um, so I think maybe we need to start expanding our thinking going forward and how to ensure dispute resolution is efficient, even in other areas. I think it was mentioned mediation, for example, but also um, uh, other, other forms of, of solutions that we might find useful, but also include judicial uh, performance measures to that as well. Tom Bruton? It's a hard act to follow with my colleagues here. Uh, let me see if I can 
summarize just a few thoughts. Uh, I'll just add, be transparent no matter what the data says. No matter what the data says, be transparent. And I would say continue to monitor. Continue to monitor. You know, my, our, my colleagues were right. If you haven't started, start, but then continue to monitor. And, and I will say, um, if the data and the metrics show that you need to adjust, be willing to adjust. I want to thank Inspector General Rudizana, Naisin Karungi, Tom Bruton, and Dr. Azil Zemo for their insights and advice on how they're addressing the issues about measuring judicial performance. I also want to thank our sponsor, Synergy International Systems. This has been ICA's Global Conversation podcast series. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us today. ICA's Global Conversation is a podcast series on topics of interest to courts and court administration from around the world. Today's episode will be available on ICA's website, on the Court Leader website, on YouTube, on Spotify, and on iTunes. Links are also available on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Heard an interesting comment by a guest you would like to listen to again, but don't want to go through the entire episode? The additional resources section contains a time marker sheet showing when each question was asked. Just find the question you are interested in, see when it was asked, then you can fast forward to that time in the episode and listen to the responses. Don't have time to watch an episode? The Global Conversation is also available in an audio format, so you can listen to it whenever you have time. You never have to miss an episode. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests and the International Association for Court Administration, thanks for making us part of your day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily reflect the position of the International Association for Court Administration.